With a lot of hype and negative headlines around ChatGPT and other AI tools, we started wondering whether there's actual value in the technology for companies. On this episode of Today in Tech, we're going to find out what businesses are really doing with AI. Hi, everyone. I'm Keith Shaw. Welcome to Today in Tech. Joining me on the show today is AJ Mohan. He is a principal of AI and analytics at Capgemini. Welcome, AJ. Thanks. Yeah, happy to be on. Uh, you guys did a uh, no, the, the, the Capgemini Research Institute recently published a report about how companies are deploying generative AI uh, tools such as ChatGPT and others. Um, tell us about sort of the motivation behind the report. And uh, was there anything that surprised you about the results? Because uh, when I went through the report, there were a couple of surprising things to me, but I want to hear what you guys thought about it. Yeah, uh, so, you know, the motivation behind the report was, uh, I think it's fairly obvious, especially since, um, you know, probably around uh, November or uh, December of last year, the uh, interest in generative AI has exploded on the market. Um, you know, there's uh, a number of tools uh, were released that sort of, um, and, and a number of public facing uh, products were released that you know, really kind of captured a lot of people's imaginations. And we found that a lot of our client conversations were being driven by sort of the, 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 the kind of the interest and the excitement around generative AI. So I think from Capgemini's perspective, the Research Institute's perspective made perfect sense. You know, this, this was a survey of, uh, we, we conducted a survey of around a thousand organizations across the globe. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, we talked about their executive, executives from multiple industries, uh, areas like consumer goods, retail, financial service. The idea here is to, uh, get an industry, um, wide perspective on, um, you know, how these executives are looking at generative AI. Uh, so, you know, obviously, you know, obviously we, we'd love to work with them on that journey, but really importantly, just, also showing, you know, some of the commonalities and, and uh, comparisons. Yeah. And, and um, yeah. So in terms of what surprised you, uh, it, it did feel like that there was a, a very high number of uh, optimism around it. And sometimes you would think that there's skepticism around a, a new technology, especially one that can be kind of polarizing with with Gen I with Gen AI. Yeah, so that is absolutely, that, that's probably one of the biggest takeaways from that report, which is, you know, a, almost 100% of organizations that we've spoken with, all of them are having some level of conversation in their, you know, uh, executive meetings or boardrooms around Gen AI. But to your other point, just the, um, you know, just the, just the sheer majority of executives that believe, you know, that Gen AI is going to bring benefits to their company or we're going to bring tangible in, you know, improvements in their process or, or revenue drivers um, was really surprising. And, and, you know, usually when you talk about new approaches for AI or machine learning, uh, you don't get that sort of widespread, um, you know, positivity. Certainly, you know, certain industries might be more positive than others. But yeah. in this case, um, just, just there's a tremendous amount of excitement is really the best way to put it in terms of how generative AI can kind of enhance every aspect of a company's um, uh, 
business operations. Yeah, and, and another interesting part about sort of the overall part of the, the survey was that many of them felt that it was not going to be disruptive to their industry. And that made me think, well, it, it feels like everything that you read it is going to be disruptive. And so I'm, I was wondering whether you felt from the responses that, that, that executives might not have understood what, what the word disruptive means, or do they just sort of put that in the corner, seeing that like they see almost like the gold chest, but they don't see the dragon next to it. Uh, <laughs> you know, that was sort of the analogy I came up with. Are they just ignoring sort of maybe the, the disruption part or, or do they not, understand what the definition of disruptive means because it could be that too yeah i don't think they're ignoring the concept of disruption i think uh, you know the uh a lot of these uh, executives and, and uh, that we've spoken with uh they look at it as enhancements to their existing business how do you optimize existing operational flows um, you know, they, they don't see it as a, a disruptor in the sense of replacing entire areas of business that they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, obviously the future is, um, you know, the, that could happen in the future, uh, in, in certain industries and, and whatnot. But really the key takeaway is they're looking at it as sort of optimizers to their existing workflows as opposed to, a disruptor of their uh, of their specific businesses, okay, uh, and that's why they're they're kind of taking that they're taking that positive approach to it. And and then you broke it down in in sort of the uh, questions that you asked them in terms of what areas of generative AI are the most relevant to business. So t- tell me about the top answers where most businesses see them using uh, generative AI or, or G- GPT tools. No, absolutely. So. A lot of the uh, a lot of the areas uh, right now the the sort of the 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 most sort of understood use cases of generative AI I'll say is um, things like uh, potentially uh, potentially marketing um, uh, marketing and, and customer insights and personalization uh, around generating content. Uh, a lot of clients are interested in. Areas like customer service. So, for example, having, you know, more intelligent virtual assistants, uh, you know, chatbots, uh, but also, also assistance to customer support reps that better understand, uh, client insights. Yeah. And, uh, you know, certainly, uh, certainly there's the, the whole area around things like code, uh, you know, code generation, code assistance. Uh, where a lot of, uh, you know, product companies or development companies are interested in seeing if they can accelerate their, the workflow of their developers. So really, when, when you look at the initial scope of use cases, uh, and certainly these can expand in the future, but, you know, people look at it from a perspective of either, um, you know, uh, user, user experience or customer experience, marketing, uh, in, in a lot of cases, customers are interested in knowledge management, which is, uh, which is essentially aggregating, uh, the content across organizations, yeah. uh, enabling a user to actually find content without digging through, you know, different sites or different, uh, different portals. Uh, and then there's this, uh, there's this uh, sort of backend use case on, on coding, uh, 
uh, coding optimization, things like user acceptance testing, uh, that sort of thing. Yeah. It, so, it, it was interesting in, in the survey that coding, uh, generated about 50% of interest from those surveyed uh, compared with higher numbers for things like chatbots, data, uh, text search, that kind of stuff. It, it does feel like they're going after the low hanging fruit right now and maybe coding. Mm -hmm. There are still some questions about accuracy and maybe time to develop a program like that. And a lot of companies will, they say, well, it's easier to just grab the, the, the chatbot stuff quickly and the, the search because there's so much out there where it might be a longer term project for coding uh, and things like that. Or, or do you think there, there might be some doubt from companies about its ability to sort to um, replace coders or not replace, but, you know, enhance coding capabilities? I mean, there's, I think there's always going to be a uh, caution when you're talking about mission critical applications of your business, right? Uh, if you're a product company, for example, and you're, you're, you know, developing software, obviously you want to be very, you know, careful about ensuring, um, you know, the, the accuracy of the work product or, you know, not, not taking any shortcuts, that sort of thing. So there's always, you know, when you talk about companies that, that, invest heavily in coding uh, product companies are, are top of mind there's always going to be that you know uh, a little bit of wariness to make sure hey we don't want to just dive right into it because this is such a critical part of our operations to your point some of the other use cases are lower hanging in the sense of uh they're they're relatively straightforward to implement into a workflow uh, but also, uh, but also there's already some, you know, a, a lot of demonst uh, demonstrated uh, applications of it in those areas, mm -hmm. things like, you know, virtual assistants, chatbots. Uh, so that's why I think, you know, when you talk about a lot of, a lot of, you know, uh, customers are looking into the coding aspects, but I can see that being more of a, just taking it a little bit slower to make sure that they're, primary business isn't getting disrupted, um, you know, not disrupted, but like influenced negatively by, um, by just, you know, kind of throwing generative AI. Yeah. Yeah. There, there was another example, uh, of something that scored high on the list in terms of what, what companies want to do with generative AI. And that's in the generation of synthetic data. Can you explain yeah. what that, that is? And, um, I, as I was doing some more research on it, there were some other red flags that kind of popped up, but I want to talk to you a little bit about that. Uh, tell, tell me about what it is for AI generating synthetic data. Cause as soon as you tell someone that they go, well, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> so, so tell me why there's such an interest there. Yeah. So the concept of synthetic data generation has actually been around for decades. Okay. Uh, it's a way to effectively train or test models that you develop uh, in order, you know, where there might not be enough or sufficient data for detecting certain, you know, issues or classifying uh, certain data sets. Uh, and, and, you know, ways of generating synthetic data, uh, you know, generative AI in and of its as a concept has been around for a long time. Synthetic data creation as a concept has been around. Uh, but the idea here is you're using an AI or machine learning model to, uh, to generate data that's uh, very similar to from like a structure and a statistical perspective to actual data, but not exactly the same. 
Uh, and once again, that's uh, the, the, usually the uh, ways that um, a lot of uh, people try to leverage that is obviously getting much more data to be able to, to train and test their, their models but also potentially obfuscating certain data elements. So you want to replicate real world data as much as possible, but you don't want to use potentially exactly proprietary, you know, exact proprietary data. Mm -hmm. You want to, you want to obfuscate that. So from that perspective, those are usually where we see the synthetic data uh, generation come in. Synthetic data isn't just, you know, tabular, you know, uh, tabular data. You can be talking about video, you can be talking about audio imagery, um, as well as, you know, structured and unstructured data. And so that's where, that's where a lot of clients are also looking at it. I think they look at it from a perspective of if I don't have enough data for, for actually building like an effective model, mm-hmm. how can I get to that data without investing obviously millions or, or hundreds of millions of dollars and, you know, trying to procure it the old fashioned way. Is there a danger, though, of companies that invest into synthetic data and then use that data to then train their AI and it gets into a situation where it's almost like you're photocopying a photocopy and a photocopy and it gets to the point where it gets muddled? Uh, There was an article this week that I saw about that sort of effect that as as AI starts training itself on AI generated data, and this might be in the image space or the video space, and eventually after like five or six iterations, you just get something that is a blob of a mess. And I'm hoping that companies understand the proper use of synthetic data, or is it just just the fact that synthetic means fake or means made up and that might be throwing some fear into this the situation too set me on the right course i guess i'm I'm asking you (laughs) no for sure so you're uh in terms of what you pointed out uh you know sort of that photocopy of a photocopy concept that's absolutely you know correct without the proper guardrails or or you know training guidelines uh, that is a scenario that can happen uh, if you just sort of leverage generative AI without understanding uh, some of the underpinnings of it. I think, you know, there's, uh, there is also a lot of concern around things like uh, if you are using, you're generating synthetic data based on some real world data, you, you know, uh, you have the risk of always pulling in biases uh, pulling in, uh, you know, pulling in like, uh, you know, anomalies that are not normal, but mm-hmm. that might get inflated as normal. So there's a lot of, uh, sort of those, uh, checkpoints, uh, that you have to consider when generating synthetic data. And it's, you know, I it, think it's good for certain scenarios where you're, you know, potentially looking at, you know, something a little bit more objective, like a process or like a, you know, you're, you're measuring, you know, for example, like IOT, uh, measurements, uh, to, to predict, you know, failure of mechanical parts as an example. Yep. But then there's other cases where if you're looking at either subjective data or more, you know, kind of mission, uh, mission critical applications, um, those would be, uh, you would be careful about, uh, leveraging synthetic data because it can absorb a lot of those you know, potentially those any biases or preconceived notions or any other uh, any other imbalances in the data is how we kind of look at it. And it can just pass it off as as a normal iteration of data. Yeah, yeah. And, and 
you know, you mentioned risk uh, a couple seconds ago, and there was another part of the survey that I wanted to talk about was uh, it looks to me as if the companies were downplaying a lot of the risks associated with Gen I. One of the questions was that 74% said they believe the benefits of, of AI outweigh the risks. And I wanted to ask you, is this a case where companies might not understand a bunch of the risks, like the things you just brought up with bias and potential of, of data getting morphed into this weird blob type thing? Or do you feel that companies might be, they're still confident that the risks will be minimized or solved down the road, or at least you know they understand the risks and they're just confident of the benefits? Do you do you know what I'm saying? It's is it is it one or the other, or is it a mixture of both? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of the. It's more of the latter, uh-huh. where uh, you know a lot of the risks are. There's some very obvious and clear risks in the process uh, that you have to at least uh, be aware of and, and correct for. I think most companies and executives are aware of that. Otherwise, they wouldn't just be you know throwing a lot of effort into Gen AI. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the general sense is positivity that, you know, it'll get mitigated as not just these Gen AI models evolve, but also as workflows evolve, um, as they're able to more effectively leverage this in their organization. I think they're counting on actually implementing those guardrails, implementing those steps to capture it. So it's one of those issues where, you know, it's... um, uh, it, it's it's a it's a new technology uh, in terms of overall you know time frame. It's it's comparatively uh, untested. I think a lot of executives are are aware of some of the risks of AI as in general, but also Gen AI, and it's uh, they're they're expecting that as it evolves over the next you know several years, those are going to get mitigated by either by you know better models right. or better guardrails to those models. Yeah. And, and another point in the survey that uh, I thought was very interesting was uh, companies are recognizing that Gen AI might bump up against other efforts in the company, especially around sustainability, uh, because yeah. AI projects have such a big carbon footprint. It almost feels like there's going to be uh, bumping heads where you know, a Gen AI project might go up against the sustainability project. And can those two factors work together? Or is it going to be a case of where a company goes, well, we we're getting so much benefit from this Gen AI stuff that we may have to reduce our, uh, our climate goals or our ESG goals or anything like that for sustainability that that might go off to the side. No, they absolutely can work together. Uh, the, you know, uh, when we talk about Gen AI, we're not talking about one specific vendor or yeah. one specific model or approach. We're talking about a whole suite of tools and solutions that are out there on the market. And there's there's many ways to try and reduce the carbon footprint um, of those things, whether it's using, um, you know, more of a foundational model and, and training that on a smaller data set and using less computation power or that sort of thing. There's a lot of ways you can uh, you can help mitigate the cost by creating more optimized generative AI models for specific use cases. So it's not a sense of it's uh, it's one generative AI model to rule them all. Mm-hmm. And you just throw that one model at everything. Yeah. 
uh, it's going to be a situation. It's going to be a situation where you have a suite of tools to use, uh, you know, either different products or different companies, and you have to pick and choose the right one for your specific uh, use case. And that can come down to obviously cost is going to be a huge consideration, but also, you know, uh, things like uh, how you know whether you need it real time or real time. Uh, where you want that compute to happen. There's a lot of different considerations along that, ch- uh, that chain that you can absolutely, you know, figure it into, uh, uh, figure it into your sustainability goals or at least minimizing the footprint of generative AI model without yeah. just saying, Oh, well, if I'm not willing to, I can't use generative AI if I'm not willing to sacrifice my sustainability or vice versa. Yeah. I don't think it's a, it's a black and white okay. uh, answer. Well, and I very impressed with the, the fact that you guys asked that question or that there was enough of an awareness out there of, you know, the cost of uh, some of these gen AI projects that, that, that would have an impact. I, I think sometimes maybe companies might ignore some of that in, in the in the sense of well we'll we're still going to do our our sustainability efforts just ignore the the big cost and the carbon footprint over here so yeah. it's good that, that a lot of companies are at least recognizing that uh, i want to switch gears a little bit and uh, ask you about you you've done a lot of work at capgemini with a lot of these companies deploying some of these uh, ai projects without i'm not going to ask you specific projects or product names or companies like that but can you give me a sense of some of the examples of where companies are seeing some success give me some examples of projects that you, that are initially working yeah, so, uh, you know, speaking of broadly, we see, uh, the, the areas where we see, you know, interest in these companies, uh, as well as where they're investing some of their time. Uh, knowledge management, like you mentioned, is, is a huge area where, uh, you know, we, we know a lot of companies are working on, uh, in terms of aggregating their knowledge base. It could be, it could be one specific business function, you know, things like, uh, I'm just giving an example, like looking at potentially like a, a user portal, like potentially looking at benefits or, or looking at some other section all the way through that more, you know, kind of that more uh, the broader uh, sort of uh, search assistant. Mm-hmm. Uh, knowledge management is a, is a big uh, area that clients are, uh, you know, clients are definitely investing in things like, um, things like content creation and uh, for for marketing or uh, you know content personalization uh, that's another area where we see a lot of uh, you know clients uh, kind of expressing interest given the rapid scale you know given all of these uh, sources like uh, you know social media and everything how do we customize content for our customers yep. uh, for our end users um, and then, uh, and then to your point, um, you know, there's a lot of clients who are, uh, uh, there's a lot of clients, even though they're taking to your point, a measured approach to it, they're, uh, very much interested in, uh, some of those code generation or, or automated things like AB testing, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, uh, automations that can help them with their, uh, help them with their workflow. So, you know, not getting into a specific client's detail, usually we are seeing a lot of traction in those spaces. And that's how a lot of clients, you know, th- this is reflective of the broader industry too. But those are the ones that they're really honing in on for Gen AI saying, okay, can can it, you know, essentially 
speed up the process of things like knowledge management or, um, or, you know, generating, generating some insights for me that otherwise I would have to poke around to like, uh, you know, six different sources. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, those are the areas that we are seeing a lot of interest and engagement. D- does it do a good job of generating insights? Like if I had six reports and I asked the AI to sort to generate a, a summary of those six reports, or would it would would the prompt be more like find find an insight within this? Like how do yeah. you find do you find that it does a good job of it, or is it? Because we, or does it just sort of give you a generic kind of bland response? I've I've tried it with with summarizing certain articles and or creative types of things, and, mm-hmm. and I don't find that it's very creative. But on the summary part, I feel like it it, it does do a, a relatively good job of of summarizing large reports. Yeah. So that's a really great question, and I, I want to be very clear on yeah like, uh, on, on differentiating it. So generative AI. When we say generative AI, specifically, we're talking about large language models that, you know, have been released the last eight months or so. Yep. Uh, they are not computational models. Okay. Uh, they are not, uh, they cannot inherently in and of themselves do complex calculations, uh, or, you know, and, and in, very, in a lot of cases, you know, a, a, a basic calculator can do a better job at, at mathematics than they can. Yeah. So you have to understand these are, these are, you know, they're, they're language models and their whole idea is to help predict the next word. So you give an input and it says, okay, based on this input statistically, here's, um, you know, here's what the output, what, what they're looking for as an output. So that is definitely a clear differentiator. Um, generative AI doesn't replace more traditional AI or machine learning computational models. Mm-hmm, Those mm-hmm. absolutely have to, you know, still be in play uh, because if uh, because it's that's just not it's a it's a different tool. It's not the right tool for that job. Okay. A generative AI, what it can do is it can, you know, it can potentially be an orchestrator of that. So to your point, it's more, it's not creating those insights, but potentially either summarizing those insights or knowing where to go to grab that information, uh, which, you know, which data source if the information is already there. Yep. Uh, and that gives, that opens up a lot of possibilities. So, you know, it speeds up people's workflow. So in traditionally where someone might be looking at, you know, three or four or five dashboards and trying to piece together information, at least if you ask a question, you know, generative AI can go and say, okay, this is the dashboard with that information. I'm going to pull it out. So that's really the key differentiator. Yeah. Okay. And, and in your experience with working with a lot of these companies, are, are they still taking a, a good job? Are they doing a good job of working with the technology or is, does it still feel like uh, the Wild West or just throw something against the wall and see what sticks? Do you feel like companies are, do they know what they're doing at this point or, or are they still in that very early experimental phase? I wouldn't categorize it as Wild West because I think most companies wouldn't invest <laughs> as heavily if that were if that were the case. Uh, I think it's it's still experimental in the sense of you know uh, certain companies have already adopted Gen AI solutions, but a lot of them are figuring out where the 
that where the best value proposition for it is in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we already talked about sort of those areas that, uh, that a lot of our clients have expressed interest in, uh, or, or they're investing in. So within those, they're looking at, you know, things like, uh, when you look at knowledge management, uh, you know, are, are we going to look at one specific set of data? Are we going to look at multiple data sets? So from that perspective, and then how do we, how do we build an effective model to capture either that just that data or multiple data sets, or how do we orchestrate multiple models together? Uh, that's just an example, but that's, that is, uh, that is effectively experimental because you're still trying to build the most optimal version. Um, but I think a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, companies and our customers that we see too are doing it in a measured way. They want to make sure they're not growing just something at a wall and seeing what sticks. Okay. They're going through the business process of identifying here's potentially where generative AI can be helpful. Yep. Uh, and, and, and that, that whole process of identifying those business cases, identifying the value add for, for AI and Gen AI is, uh, is very valuable. Yep. And they're still investing in that because they don't want to throw like a ton of money at something they have no idea what it's good for. Yeah. Yeah. And do you see companies leaning more towards internal facing? projects and applications or uh more public facing uh external is there or is it is it 50 50 uh we see both uh some of the examples i cited to you like the you know the marketing and personalization is is very much customer facing a lot of clients are interested in like call center um uh, ai which you know is sort of like a more intelligent chatbot which can speak to customers more naturally and understand sort of their history. Uh, but also on the internal side, uh, you know, really a lot of, um, you know, the, those knowledge management cases, for example, or those virtual assistants, uh, those are, those are generally internally focused in the sense of, um, you know, they're, they're for the employees to better enhance their workflows. Obviously things like the code generation. Yeah. Uh, aspect. But once again, that's, that's internal focus. So really we're seeing an interest in both areas. How can we, so on the customer side, it's essentially how can we increase things like sales, retention, customer satisfaction? On the internal side, you're really seeing, you know, operational processes. You know, how can this make our people more efficient with their work? Do you see companies uh, currently looking at ROI of of their projects, or is it still too early to start wondering whether all of these efforts are going to start paying off at some point? I think we're still at a phase where ROI isn't, you know, uh, it isn't completely clearly measured yet. Yeah, and you have to go through. And the truth is, it's sort of like a chicken or the egg thing, right? Like you have to be able to build some of these experiments to measure ROI, but you need to know the ROI to more invest in like these experiments. <laughs> uh, so it's not, uh, that's not, a, that's a, that's a feature, not a flaw of the process. Uh, but in terms of, uh, in terms of very clear ROI, certainly there's a perception. And I think the report covers a lot of, you know, potential sales uplifts and all that stuff how what the actual numbers are going to be and what that's going to shake out to uh, can only happen after you know clients have started using this in in their day-to-day work and yeah. they're able to quantify the outcomes do you see companies and executives giving a, a the gen ai group a little bit more leeway than maybe they would give other technologies or other projects at this point 
They generally, so yes. I mean, the, the way it happens is, you know, a lot of clients, I mean, there's always a lot of job postings yeah. going on out there for Gen AI leaders. Um, you know, essentially people understand how these models operate and how, um, and to explore how to implement it in their organization. And that's just indicative of a lot of clients don't want to, a lot of them, uh, companies don't want to be left behind in the process. So they're investing up front in at least some leadership uh, or, or like, um, or sort of executive presence in the space. Mm-hmm. And then they'll, you know, the idea there is uh, they'll invest a little more rapidly than some of the other traditional AI or ML software solutions because the perception is those traditional solutions are more of like, hey, this is going to fix a specific problem. So, uh, you know, that business function or that business line would invest in that particular product. Whereas I think a lot of enterprises are taking like a whole of enterprise approach to this, like generative AI can be applied everywhere. Yeah. So from that perspective, they're looking at it as um, as an you know upfront investment. I think they do uh, they are looking at it. They're looking for guidance from their um, either from their you know partners or vendors or from their internal leadership to to drive uh, new use cases. Okay, and so short answer, yes, yeah, yeah, and and within the next uh, six months to a year, where do you see a, a lot of companies taking this approach? Is it continued experimentation? Do you start seeing more deployments and new projects or just getting to that point where to see whether this, this stuff is actually going to work and stick? I think if you're talking about time scales in like a year uh, or more, I mean, you kind of have to see new deployments. Otherwise there's going to be, um, you know, Gen AI fatigue, right? Uh, no company is going to invest, you know, just millions of dollars without any tangible outcome for yeah. a long period of time. Certainly there's, it, it, it's, uh, you know, certainly we're in that phase where there's like a, uh, you know, you, you kind of call it the hype phase, but the reality is the list of use cases uh, or potential use cases that clients are exploring is way up there. Yeah. But in the long term, it's likely going to mature and settle into, um, you know, a, a, a smaller subset of use cases that generative AI can truly revolution, you know, truly change or revolutionize. Yeah. And that's that same, you know, hammer looking for a nail analogy. Like you, you want to first find those nails before you start applying, uh, applying the hammer to it. So that's what I, I think. As the companies become more aware and they have, they, they build that expertise in house or through partners, they're going to start understanding that, okay, well, we thought originally this use case would be super valuable, but the reality is it's this other use case and they're going to throw more money at that. But yeah, I mean, I think in a year, certainly there should be, um, many more uh, enterprise scale deployments of generative AI, either for specific business functions or in the enterprise as a whole, depending on the company. All right. So, so right now companies are just looking for those nails. Exactly. Yeah. And, and there's some pretty clear nails in okay. the process. We already talked about it. Yeah. 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 But there's, you know, it, it's like even, even moving beyond that, it's like a specific, um, you know, it's like even within that subset of nails, it's like, are there specific types of nails which are better suited for our business? Okay. 
sub nails uh, yeah. <laughs> or, the, yeah, or the, exactly. hid, the hidden exactly. nails like brass nail yeah. like you know drywall <laughs> nail screw there versus you know a, a wood nail all right uh, uh thanks aj for joining us on the uh, the show today yeah my pleasure Pete. all right it was a uh, great great chatting with you that's all the time we have for today's episode don't forget to like the video subscribe to the channel and add any comments that you have below join us every week for new episodes of today in tech i'm keith shaw thanks for watching